0: Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action, a weekly podcast presented by the Knowledge Center at Chattuck. Join host Karen Doyle-Buckwalter for an insightful, informative, and inspiring conversation with leading researchers, authors, and clinicians discussing issues in attachment theory. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. Today, Karen welcomes Tim Galvin back to the show for part one of their conversation about love relationships and attachment theory. Part two will be released on December 6th.
1: Hello everyone and welcome back to the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. I'm your host Karen Doyle-Buckwalter joining you here from Chaddock and we are actually today having sort of an encore interview with Tim Galvin, you may recall. Tim was a part of our series on looking at family therapy and attachment theory. And at that time, I let all of you know that he was one of my instructors in my two year post-masters marriage and family therapy training that was through Menninger clinic at the time. And so In preparing that interview, Tim had shared with me a number of papers that he had written related to attachment theory. And um, when I got them, I just thought that they were amazing. And I wanted to do additional interviews with him based on these different papers that he sent me. So one in particular was called... The Attachment Process in Building an Intimate Conversation in Love Relationships. And he is going to talk about that paper today and that topic. But I also, in case you didn't hear about his background in my previous interview with him, he is um, a trained, both uh, licensed clinical social worker, so he has his MSW, but he is also a marriage and family therapist um, licensed as that as well and also as a marriage and family therapist supervisor he has taught for many years at WashU in st louis very prestigious school where he has taught family therapy courses courses on couples therapy he's also been a faculty member and supervisor at the St. Louis University Medical School in the Department of Psychiatry, just done really a tremendous amount of work in the field of marriage and family therapy and been very involved with AAMFT. So um, I think that you will enjoy the interview with him today. He's going over some very specific steps that he believes need to be part of an attachment promoting conversation between couples. And you'll probably be hearing even more from him beyond this interview. Um, but for today, let's get ready to welcome Tim Galvin to the podcast. Once again, just hang on for a minute and he will be with us.
0: Supporting children and families who have experienced great loss and endured extreme trauma is a daunting task. At Chaddock, we have the experience and longevity to understand the type of support needed to keep the best and brightest engaged with this work. In January, the Knowledge Center at Chaddock will launch the next session of the Developmental Trauma and Attachment Institute for helpers who seek to be rejuvenated and revitalized in their work with children and families. This type of renewal and confidence is a natural byproduct of gaining specialized knowledge, advanced skills, confidence consultation, guidance, mentorship, and most importantly, being in a community providing the experience of being seen and understood. We have designed an experience and a soft place to land where all of these needs will be met in one central place. For more information on the Developmental Trauma and Attachment Institute to join the waitlist for more information or to sign up, visit tkcchaddock.org.
1: So hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. And I'm so excited to welcome our guest today, and that is Tim Galvin. Welcome.
2: Thank you very much. It's good to be here.
1: Yes. So I've already shared with listeners that you were an instructor of mine when I did a two-year marriage and family therapy post-master's program, that's kind of a mouthful, Um, through Menninger Clinic, and Mm -hmm. um, how they had a satellite campus in St. Louis, and all, all of that, but as I was looking back over everything that you've done, Tim, I mean, that was just, that's just like the tip of the iceberg, like, you have anybody else or well talk met or talk to anybody else that has an lcsw and an lmft
2: Mm -hmm.
1: so that's one of my first questions i I want to talk about before we even get going with our topic today and then also you've had so many teaching positions at pretty prestigious places so Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, just just tell us a little bit about your path and, and how you ended up, like, in these dual disciplines, so to speak, and running a private practice and doing all these other things at the same time. Like, how did you do all this?
2: Well, I started out um, getting an MSW from the University of Missouri, Columbia, and uh, wanted to be a social worker. Um, and of course, licensing for social work or marriage and family was not available at that time in the state of Missouri. So I uh, worked for the Division of Family Services and Child Abuse Neglect. I was a child abuse treatment um, staff member. I would go into homes of people who've had positive child abuse um, cases open, and I would work with the kids and the families. Um, I worked at a Jewish Hospital in St. Louis before BJC was, um, uh, came to be as a medical social worker for a year. And then I w- went to work clinically with family and children's services of Greater St. Louis, a nonprofit uh, family um, uh, family services of America agency. And that's when social work licensing came in. So I got my social work license. Okay. But I, w- I was trained there as a marriage and family therapist. I did a two-year training program in, in the agency. And that's why I identified myself. So when the marriage and family therapy um, uh, license came available, I, I took that one, too, just because I wanted to identify myself as a marriage and family therapist. So yes. yeah, so I taught in three different um, training programs in St. Louis and marriage and family. I taught at uh, Washington University for 12 years in uh, marriage and family therapy. Uh, in the classroom. We did um, families in the fall and couples in the spring. So I worked, uh, did that with a colleague. So I I love to teach um, primarily though I practiced. Uh, the last 29 years I've been in a private practice group doing couples work mostly.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you know, one of the things that Stands out in my mind about you as an instructor in the program that I was in was just um, not just was your ability to distill concepts down into like the smallest sound bite but it still held the complexity of the idea. I just felt like you were gifted at that. And I was, as I've been reading some of your papers, getting ready for this podcast, I'm I'm so reminded of your knack for doing that.
2: Yeah. I, I always loved John Gottman when he said, he's not a theoretician, he's a plumber. He said, I want to how things work. I want to know how to make things work. And I always liked that about him because that's how I always thought I needed to learn this sort of on the ground level and uh how the plumbing actually works. Um yes. so that's always been a, a sort of a striving of mine to break things down. And, and of course, Sue Johnson does that, too. She has her phrase, slice it thinner, slice it thinner, mm-hmm. um, which, is, which is just trying to understand things more on a micro level. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Well, our topic for today is based on a paper of yours about the attachment process in building an intimate conversation in our love relationships and i i really liked the paper and i'm excited to um talk about it with you could you share a little bit about what was the genesis of the idea like mm-hmm. i want to write a paper about this
2: mm-hmm. well the inspiration came from uh harville hendrix the imago um founder and uh, Dan Siegel um, the, the Imago people um, talk about their Imago dialogue being about listening understanding and empathizing uh, and um, I've always I saw, I've always found that very helpful to think about just that process um, in terms, I think it's what we do in therapy. I think that's what therapists do. But uh, in intimate relationships, uh, in love relationships and attachment relationships, that's what people are doing. They're listening. And as John Gottman says, we don't listen to respond. That is that when you're done, finish talking, I'm going to tell you what I think about what you said. We, We listen to understand, which is which is trying to make sense of what the other person is saying to us and to, to, to try to understand their perspective and, and why they think the way they think, which, of course, then naturally leads to being empathic, um, imagining what it's like to be them as we talk about whatever it is that they're talking about. And then Dan Siegel, um, in his attachment lectures, which I really love, uh, he talks about our need to be compassionate and kind. I think his mm-hmm. most recent book, awareness. Um, I say the most recent book. I, he writes a book about every six months, but Seems this one like came, that, up, doesn't it? <laughs> this yeah. one came, I think, in 2020, maybe 2021. But awareness, and, and he talks about kindness a lot in that in that book. And kindness is um, relating to someone, taking into account. Uh, their vulnerabilities and and who they are as a person. It, it's a thoughtful um, uh, way of engaging and, and doing things with and for people. And and that always struck me as being very sensible and quite attachment oriented. Yes. so, so I, I kind of strung the five of those things together and thought, this is what an attachment relationship, this is what a rela- uh, or an attachment conversation is, is like. These five components:
1: mm-hmm. the listening, understanding, empathy, compassion, and kindness.
2: Mm-hmm. And in my mind, one leads to the other. It, it just makes sense that they that they that they follow um, the one in front of them.
1: Mm-hmm. And you know, when I was when I first started reading this, I thought um, this is different because we're talking a lot about non-verbal things in therapy these days, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, we're
1: talking a lot about the social engagement system and polyvagal theory and mm-hmm. creating felt safety. Mm-hmm. And so I thought this is, and, and many other concepts similar to that. And I thought this is really about how we talk to each other we're sort of you know forgetting how we talk to each other and how much that matters or how we listen mm-hmm. and so it it was um, I enjoyed bringing things back to that um, I have to say that 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 was really helpful just just the idea of how we communicate with each other verbally yeah. And I know you're talking about some nonverbal things in here too, but I thought that that was so helpful. Um, So let's start out with the first one listening. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of our listeners are therapists. And so they're going to be like, you know, duh, listening. And um, I think that, Uh, So I've been thinking about this for myself and how much better I am as a listener, as a therapist, than as a partner. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I I hate to say it.
2: Uh, True for all of us.
1: (laughs) I'm not just a really bad (laughs) therapist. So... Yeah. To just talk some about that. I, I I just love hearing you talk about this and even hearing I'd love your case examples and things that, you know, mm-hmm. have come up in therapy. So let's let's mm-hmm. zero in on this listening first. Yeah.
2: Well, I, the thing that inspired me about listening is um, Michael Nichols book, The Lost Art of Listening. I think he wrote it in the 90s, but he had a revised edition about 2008, 2009. And it's a very, very good book. I, I mean, Michael Nichols, talks about um, how listening is silent, but it's not passive. Mm. You know, a lot of times, in fact, often in my couple's work, um, men don't think listening is doing anything, <laughs> you know, uh, their partner's distressed and upset and, um, and they want to do something. They want to fix it they want to they want to make it better, and i I say to men, ninety percent of the time in this relationship, listening is the only thing you need to do because if you listen and you listen to understand and you make that connection, whatever it is that's distressing it's not that it goes away but but your partner's not alone I, I mean, as Sue Johnson talks about, the worst thing a woman can experience in a marriage is being alone mm-hmm. And, and I do a I do a course on men in marriage, and one of the lines I use is that your wife wants to have a relationship with you. I mean, that's how women see the world, and that's how they relate in the world. And a lot of times men don't think in terms of relationship, but but there's nothing more important in relationship than listening, you know, that that we can attune to someone, we can turn towards them, we can make eye contact, and, and we can give them our full attention um that is that is so wonderful all by itself Mm -hmm. and and as you said uh karen and and it's so true we just we don't pay attention (laughs) to our listening or our lack of listening
1: yes
2: we're so busy in our head with thinking about what's being said that we we sort of miss the moment of really being attuned to somebody so Um. in my mind that's that's the listening is it is it's not giving yourself up, it's it's really giving yourself over to someone else in that relationship that's important.
1: Mm, I love your way of saying that. You know, and I'm also thinking, and I would wonder your perspective about this. Not only is it hard to like listen in a um, engaged way rather than be thinking about what you want to say mm-hmm. but there's also so much in our minds all the time mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know everything is in sound bites and videos and yeah. quick things yeah. And, yeah. and um i wonder what well, we know that has changed our brains
2: yep it and has. our attention
1: spans And I wonder if you've noticed that over the years as as social media and things like this and the sound bites and the videos and everything moving so fast. And and if you've seen a toll on that, on relationships from that.
2: Mm hmm. Oh, there's no question. The distractibility is um, just monumental. I read a book recently by Johan Hari. He's a journalist called Stolen Focus. And, and he basically, one thing I like about journalists writing books is they interview a lot of people. It's not just one person's opinion. He interviews um, all kinds of professionals about what's happening, not just to the human brain, but to the human relationships because of all of the noise and information and distractibility. Um, he calls it just a constant shifting focus. that we do all day long Yes. from this to that. And, and it's actually, it's actually changing how our brain works. I mean, his contention is because he's interviewed a number of neuroscientists that we're losing capacity. And, and, and again, I tell when I do training, I, I say two of the most important things we teach our clients in our work is to pay attention, right? To focus, to be aware and to be curious, uh, which is opening our hearts and minds to learning, to taking things in, to kind of ruminating about things, rolling them around, percolating with them. And and that's where the deep learning comes in. That's, that's where the deep understanding of a topic or a person comes in because we have, again, we've given ourselves over to really focusing and being curious about a person, a topic, whatever it is that we're, focusing on and our focus is really changing our ability to focus and that's where listening comes in if we can if we can practice uh listening to understand more if we can focus our attention on um paying attention and, and being curious about the person that we are sitting with and having a conversation with uh it it changes the whole dynamic in a conversation
1: yeah, um, you're so good at pulling quotes from different authors. I'm, um, and you mentioned Michael Nichols. Listening well mm-hmm. is often silent but never passive. Mm-hmm. So now I'm going to quote you from your own oh. paper. Um, get ready! I'm, I'm quoting Tim <laughs> Galvin here. Listening is a strenuous but silent activity.
2: Mm-hmm. Tr- it
1: really captures it. Yeah. It takes discipline.
2: It does. I think most of the strenuousness is restraining ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> because we don't want to talk. We so want to share.
1: Yes. And then you go on to say it's being very present. Yeah. And of course, um, Attunement is a big word um, in the world of attachment. And you say, listening is the way we attune to another person. Attunement is turning ourselves and our attention toward our loved ones, giving them eye contact. And this is my favorite part of the sentence and taking in Mm. their story and their experience.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and that phrase "taking in" again is something I get from uh, Sue Johnson when she stops a couple in the middle of a conversation and says to one of them, "Can you can you hear what he or she is saying? Can, can you take that in? Mm-hmm. And taking is letting it go beyond the ears." And and again, because we're talking about attachment, it's it's taking it into our hearts. You know, it's it's really absorbing it and in, in feeling it deeply in our in ourselves, which which is what attachment's about is is uh, uh, taking in and and holding people, holding these important relationships in our heart.
1: And you can see and feel that happening, as opposed to the list mm-hmm. moving from the listening to the taking in. Mm-hmm. Um, are there, do you feel that a lot of the time when you've been in sessions with couples, Ooh. pretty much this is where you're starting out just helping them learn how to listen to each other and deeply in, mm-hmm. in this way that you're describing and what any Examples come to mind of of uh, situations where that was happening.
2: Absolutely, I mean, so many couples come in and back and forth they go and blah 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 blah, and and nobody's listening really. I I mean, they're they're just trying to make their case or state their position somehow, and and again, we want to slow them down. Um, the Imago people have the structured dialogue, which I find a little cumbersome, though I do it every once in a while if things are really sort of too chaotic. Uh, having someone be a listener and have one, someone being a, the speaker and then and then parroting that to, to, to get them to understand that that listening is not just, like I said, letting it go in one ear and out the other. It's really holding on to something and trying to understand what the other person's saying. So you slow the couple down and uh, you focus on something that's come up. It doesn't matter what the content is that you pick. Um, but, but you see if you can get them to really, in a focused way, begin to talk about and listen uh, to each other around whatever it is that they come in disagreeing about or being upset about um, and see if they can't make that that connection of of uh, attunement. That's one of John Gottman's favorite words. Uh, attunement with each other, that that they can actually stop and not just hear, but think about what the other person's saying in a way that that they can reflect back, understanding the other person's point of view or their experience, which is mm-hmm. so important in love relationships. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We want to be known <laughs> by our partner Uh, And and certainly our kids want to be seen and heard and and appreciated, uh, you know, for being a a person, for for being somebody who's thinking about or experiencing something that seems important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But that, you know, that becomes, I I think, an important part of the work, because if couples can if couples can realize that that's where they have to start, um, it, it gives them a place to begin.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm well you go on under um look at me it's like all this time and i'm still on listing, but th- there's just so much in this first one it is.
2: <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> um,
1: well the, the the other thing i was um that jumped out at me of course you know a lot of what I learned from you is Bowen systems theory. And, you know, this piece that you have here about, we suspend, we suspend ourselves. When we listen, we suspend ourselves, but de- that does not mean losing ourselves. That's and right. I'd like you to elaborate on that a little. Well, I think, I think
2: at times, especially if a relationship becomes adversarial or competitive in a way um, to To actually suspend our thinking and our opinion and how we see things uh, in order to um, take in and understand what the other person is saying feels like we're kind of giving in. We're sort of compromising ourselves that we're, um, uh, you know, not we're we're giving them first dibs instead of us and. And again, um, you know, a partnership is is more about a team than it is about a competition. But but men especially can make things more competitive um, uh, in in their relationships. Men are more competitive in their relationships than women are, um, according to Peggy Papp. so, so it's recognizing that I'm, I'm trying to build something here. This is not a competition. This is not an adversarial relationship. I'm trying to build something here. And I use that term team because a lot of men can relate to that, um, that w- we're in this together. And, and I've got to be a better partner in building what goes on between us uh, than just competing with who's going to get their way, who's going to get to say first.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And and you don't lose yourself when you give yourself away to someone. Mm-hmm. That's it's different uh, when you actively choose to give yourself your ears, your head, your heart to someone. Uh, that's not losing anything. In fact, uh, it, it it takes a lot of courage, and uh, it's a very important thing to do if you want to be in an intimate relationship.
1: Hmm. I remember um, one of our lectures. I'll I'll never forget it. you were giving when I'm speaking to you right here in the moment is you're using language that someone could relate to. And I remember you talking about this case where you were talking to a man and said, you're not a free agent. even really know what that meant and I you know I had to ask my husband you know what's a free agent in sports and I'm like oh okay okay yeah yeah okay now I get it
2: oh that's fun that's good yeah I guess I guess as a man I I think of of sports analogies because men tend to get those quicker than than relational ones um, yes yeah I, and I, again we could talk all day about issue about men fearing being controlled—that is a whole other topic. But, uh, but yeah, a lot of men, as I said, women—women women live and breathe; they live in relationships, and they want a relationship, you know, with their partner. And um, and that's not—it's a concept that just doesn't come automatically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they so they act quite independently at times, and at that those times I usually uh, suggest that maybe they think they're a free agent when they're not really. Ha 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 ha!
1: understood what it meant right away uh you know i'm like okay now what is that i'm trying to get what that means um so yeah so you know as we're winding down here it's obvious we're we're uh gonna devote this first segment to one of five so we're gonna have to move quickly for our follow-up segment but um this other thing that struck me so strongly as you talk about this topic um well this part of the topic of listening is 90% of what comes out of someone's mouth is about them and not about you. And you say, when I first heard this, I thought that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. So let's let's end by, by hearing your thoughts about that.
2: Yeah. (laughs) That is the craziest thing I ever heard. Um, (laughs) again, I, I got that from Imago. Um, and and the idea of that is that we we personalize and, and of, of course it's kind of stupid. We're in a committed relationship, and and everything does feel personal. But we but we personalize so much what the other person's um, saying to us. And in reality, you know what they're, what they're trying to do is to communicate with us their thoughts, their feelings, their experiences, their perceptions, their understanding of what's, what's going on in the relationship between us right now. Now, the good news is that usually if a woman is sharing something with her husband and his name is in the sentence and it's not so great – he gets defensive now it's a terrible thing to get defensive men get defensive a lot but is rarely ever if ever helpful um but the fact that the reason he gets defensive is he disagrees with her but Mm -hmm. instead of starting a fight i suggest to men that this is this is coming this is her perception this is her experience um can you stop and and give that to her can you let that be personal about her and not so personal about you and be curious about what she's thinking or where she comes up with that. It's obvious you disagree with her. So can you turn this into a conversation rather than a fight? Mm -hmm. Can you be curious about her point of view and her experience, even though you don't agree uh, with it uh, and recognize that she's actually sharing this with you because she thinks maybe you could respond well to it. And the two of you could have a good conversation and things could be better. Things could be understood. Things could be worked out. Isn't that nice that she feels that confident in your ability to respond well and have a conversation? Mm-hmm. I had one guy in particular. He was an attorney, and uh, he was he was very he liked to banter. But when we talked about this, uh, it, it was one of those moments, Karen, where. He got it. I mean, I never saw a light bulb go off so quickly in somebody's head as that moment. And they went away the next week, they came back, and every conversation was different because he wasn't defending himself anymore. He mm-hmm. was listening. Mm-hmm. What we know is that when somebody's upset in a relationship, if their partner can turn towards them and listen to them, that makes all the difference in the world. Mm-hmm. Because usually the complaint is, I feel rejected, or I feel abandoned, or I feel misunderstood, or and and again, it goes back to listening. If that if that other person cannot take it personal because it's personal about the speaker and not the listener, and tune in and and understand and be empathetic and feel compassion and Mm -hmm. kindness, it's the relationship.
1: Yes, yes. yeah well you're clearly as fun to listen to and learn from as you were i don't know however many years ago i was sitting in that room, uh, with, with you for classes, but, um, uh, yeah. So listeners, please join us next week for part two of our interview with Tim Galvin. Our topic is, um, the attachment process in building an intimate conversation in our love relationships. And we have a lot more to talk about. So please join us next week.
0: Thank you for joining us for this edition of Attachment Theory in Action. Please follow our site, tkcchatok.org, or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts for future episodes. If you enjoy our podcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. For additional resources, training opportunities, and blogs, please visit tkcchatok.org. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore the world of adoption, trauma, and attachment theory.